0: Most weeks at Village Church, I open up the Bible and we preach through a portion of Scripture. Today will be no different. Open up your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 24. That's Luke chapter 24. And at Easter time, this is actually one of the most unique um, seasons where um, questions about faith and spirituality are being pushed in your face like no other, even more so than Christmas time. For example, um, over the last couple weeks, churches have been on like, like high productivity with their marketing, right? And in the mail, you are getting uh, advertisement after as- advertisement and postcards saying, come worship with us on Easter. And then you got some of them with the creepy pastors putting their creepy faces on them. And you're like, I'm not going there. You know that one. You go to the greatest Easter egg hunt ever in the history of the world, thinking your city has just put this on. And then you find 150 people in teal shirts that say Village Church. And you're like, I can't even get away from these people why is their pastor so bald and handsome? Like, it's just, it's all confusing. It's a joke, by the way, just so you know. But, but, but for real, um, you go on Facebook, you go on Instagram, you go on any of your social media, and all of a sudden, you didn't know this, but you've got a bunch of friends who are Christians. And all of a sudden, the week of Easter, they're putting Bible verses up, and they are putting pictures, and you're trying to figure out, like, okay, am, am I supposed to do that? I've, I've actually had some people ask me, like, where do people, where do you even find these Bible verses? And the answer is Google. Like that's, you type in resurrection, verses on the resurrection, and that's, that's what they post. Um, but, but what's also interesting here is that there are a lot of, there are a lot of questions that just because of the nature of the week and the nature of social media and the nature of family and the nature of everything that's going on that are being pressed into us in a very unique way. So he, here's one. Um, will my family and I go to church on Easter Sunday. Now this, for some of you, this is a no-brainer. For some of you, you didn't know you were coming here until this morning and you're here, right? I can't tell you how many families straight-up fight over whether or not they're going to go to church on Easter Sunday. Um, many of you are here and if we could see the story of how you got here, it was pretty intense. Some of you are here alone and you wanted someone to be here with you. Some of you dragged a son or a daughter or a grandma or a grandpa or a mom or a dad and they didn't want to be here. Uh, this is actually a really tense and weird time, and so you're like, no pressure, Pastor Michael, but do a good job. Uh, what do I tell my kids? If you have younger kids, like, they, they're smart. They know this isn't about Easter bunnies. They know this isn't about candy. They understand this is about something bigger. Um, here, here's a question that I think some people have had, but they haven't had the vocabulary for it, so let me give you the vocabulary. Um, some of you, you're, you're you grew up as a Catholic, you grew up churched, you grew up in some like denomination somewhere and you're trying to, maybe you walked away from it, right? And here's the question, or here's what you're asking. Is it, is it okay if I just don't really care that much? Like, I know I'm supposed to wanna to be here. Like I used to be into it, like I used to go to church, but I really just don't have any emotion or desire. And to be honest, I'm, I'm here because I kind of feel Guilty, in fact, um, this is a question that I find that I'm able to engage a number of people with michael what if i what if I just don't believe like I know I should believe, I know I want to believe, but what if like when the rubber meets the road, I actually don't believe and uh, so Easter Sunday is a really interesting morning for me um and, and I take it. It is an absolute privilege to be able to have this time with you, to open up God's Word, to share with you, to encourage you. And I really do hope it blesses you. And uh, this morning what I want to do is I want to ask three specific questions that this whole Holy Week and Easter season force us to ask. Now these are going to be questions um, that you may have been tempted to kind of just push down a little bit, but what I want to do is bring them to the surface. I want to ask if each one of us could just face them head on. Here's the first question. Is it possible? Could I... Could I actually be wrong about Jesus? Now, there are many of you who are here and you have taken like your reputation on the line on your position on Jesus Christ. Uh, he is a prophet, he is dead. I mean, you fill in the blank, whatever, you've just been like, no, 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 no. But humor me for a moment, it's Easter, we're here. Could, could I actually, is it possible, is there any possibility, that I could be wrong about Jesus. I mean, what do all these people know that I don't know? I mean, they're singing, and they're dancing, and they're serving, and they're going to egg hunts, and they're wearing village shirt shirts, and they're telling people about Jesus. Like, what do these people get that I don't get because I'm not there? And Easter Sunday is the one Sunday of the year when those of you who are having those thoughts, you are more likely to be in church this day than you are any any other day of the week. So the original followers of Christ, the 12 disciples especially, um, they— they, they knew Jesus was special, okay? They knew that he had divine favor. They knew that um, he was the fulfillment of prophecies and, and of scripture. Um, but I want you to catch something. They're, they're sort of like a lot of Americans. Like we know it, we've been taught it, we've been trained in it. But what you're gonna see in Luke 24 is simply this. By the time Jesus died, they did not believe. That in the days following exposed what was really going on in their heart And they did not believe. So here's what's happening, some context in Luke 24. A group of women on early Sunday morning are going to the grave of Jesus and they are preparing spices and different things um, that they're going to to use to ceremonially, we'll say, uh, engage the dead body of Jesus. Um, There were some traditions that they had and so they had spent Saturday preparing these oils and these spices and it's early morning and they're on their way. But I want you to catch something before we get into this. They did not walk up to this grave with any set of great expectations. There wasn't even a plausibility in their mind that when they went up to this grave that it was going to be empty and open. There was not an idea in their brain that Jesus could plausibly be risen. They went with the expectation that Jesus was going to do what dead people do, which is stay dead. And so when they went up to this grave, right, you got to understand, they were not like thinking to themselves, like, this could be it. Like, do you think there's a possibility? There's nothing in the text. There's nothing in their responses that would give us any clue that they had any expectation whatsoever. And it's just like actually many of us today. You're here and you have no great expectations. You're here to do due diligence. You're here to make somebody happy. You're here because you feel guilty. You're here because once or twice a year, it's where you're supposed to be. Here's my prayer. My prayer is that as you engage God's word, that he would far exceed your expectations. And you would not meet the dead Jesus you're expecting, but the risen Jesus, who is God. So let's look at Luke chapter 24, verse 1. Here's what it says. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they... Went to the tomb. Now we gotta answer who is they for some context. They is a group of women. Now this is gonna become important for this story in Luke 24. But if you were Luke, who penned the book of Luke, you're a historian. And Luke is penning this so that decades and centuries and millennia later, people like you and like me would read the historical account of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He wants you to believe what he's saying. But here's the deal. Culturally speaking, uh, we'll just say it was a much more chauvinistic culture. And if you were a woman, your, we'll just say, report was not really seen to be trustworthy. No offense, but that was kind of the way it went. So if Luke is trying to win us over, right, he's already starting off on, on a bad foot. Because the first people to witness the resurrection, engage Jesus Christ, and tell anybody about it were women. And so, but here's what you have to understand, Luke's job is not to, we'll say, change history, but to tell you history accurately. And this is how it worked. here's what they did. It says they were taking the spices that they had prepared. And again, they're expecting a dead Jesus to do what dead people do, which is stay dead. Verse 2, "...and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus." Like at this point, shouldn't they be saying, you remember when Jesus said, we're gonna go into Jerusalem and I'm gonna suffer and the chief priests and the scribes are gonna kill me, but on the third day, I'm gonna rise again. Like that's what they should have said, but that is not what happened here. What happens is this, they're perplexed. They're totally confused. They're trying to figure out what's happening. John's account says this of Mary Magdalene. She wept. She wept and wept and they're like trying to figure out What have you done with the body of Jesus? You have desecrated him. They are angry. In their brain is still not this possibility that Jesus could have actually risen from the dead. I mean, what do you do when the impossible is literally staring you right in the face? Um, What do you do when all of your view of reality unravels in front of you in light of new evidence? Here's a question that actually happens on a Sunday morning more than you would ever realize. Um, What do you do when you're sitting in in the chair listening to a preacher preach about Jesus Christ? And your whole life you've just been ambivalent or just, ah, it's not for me, or ah, he's a good guy, or sure he rose, but it's just not my thing. And then all of a sudden, you are like, I think I really believe. What is is happening inside of me? Like, I haven't even seen the risen Jesus, and for some reason— Like I am convinced that he is not some dead guy in the ground and he is the resurrected Jesus. Now let's just take a moment. I wanna be really clear. If Jesus is alive, if God the Father raised him from the dead, this is not simply a historical event. If Jesus is alive, this is a cosmic declaration from God to all of the demons in hell, to all of the angels in heaven, to everyone alive at the moment, to everyone who had ever been, who ever died throughout history, and to everyone who would ever live, that Jesus Christ is no mere insurrectionist, but he truly is divine, the son of God with power. If Jesus is alive, I want to be, I want to be clear, okay? Um, this absolutely, completely changes everything in your life. If he's dead, go home. If he's alive, everything in your life needs to change. Everything. And this is huge. And so these women, they had no expectation, right? And in their brain, in their worldview, in their ideas, he was dead and he was gonna do what dead people do, which is stay dead. And then they find an empty tomb. Here's the second question. What if it's hard for me to believe? What if it's hard for me to believe? Like, I can't tell you how many people have said something like this to me in a different way. Okay, yeah, but you're a pastor. Like, believing is easy for you. I just want to tell you, I know my story, I know your story, a lot of you in this room, and belief is not easy. Belief is not simple, and it is not easy, and for many of us, it has taken years to come to the place where we can say we believe Jesus is God, and he is risen. He is risen indeed. There we go. You're paying attention. Uh, What if it's hard for me to believe? Welcome to the club. That's what I want to say. You know, the disciples were some of the most amazing, courageous men that have ever lived, but they were dense as doornails. Like they were frustratingly dense. It's like how many times did Jesus have to say the same thing over and over again? And that should make you feel a little bit better about yourself, at least it does me. Verse four, here's what happens. While they, the women, were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. So pause for a moment. Luke is a historian. Luke doesn't put in a lot of like unnecessary, like flowery details, Let me tell you what Matthew says about these two men. Matthew says, their appearance was like lightning and their clothes white as snow. Don't you wish Luke would have given you more details into that? Like what's happening is that two angels show up and it's like lightning. And now if you saw an angel, let's just be straight for a moment. What would be the immediate and necessary emotional reaction? Fear, straight up fear. Like I don't care how awesome you think you are, how much you read the Bible. If you saw an angel, you'd be afraid. Verse five affirms this. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men, the angels, said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. You can do it. He's risen indeed. I know. It's impossible to read that and not, like, respond. And then, and then they get a little condescending. They say, Remember how he told you like over and over and over again while he was still in Galilee? Remember back then, like this isn't like a new message. He's been telling this to you for a while that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And at this moment, they're like, oh yeah, we remember. He did exactly what he said he was gonna do. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, in Luke's account, they leave from the tomb, they go back and they find the 11. Matthew tells us that actually something happened on the way. Matthew tells us this, that Jesus personally, bodily, shows up and presents himself to them. Here's what Matthew 28 verse nine says. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Okay, I do have to draw your attention. I find great humor in Jesus. there will be three greetings that you will see in this and all of them, he shows up out of nowhere, like literally comes into lock rooms and he's like, peace be with you, greetings. It's really funny. He's actually hugely ironic how he enters into rooms Uh, and says this, and and behold, Jesus met them and said greetings and they came up and they took hold of his feet. Why? Because that's where the holes were. They're like, we wanna see this and it's also an act of submission and prostration. And then it says this, and they worshiped him. What do you do when you believe Jesus is alive? I mean, two things. You worship him and you talk about him. That's what you do. How do I know if I actually believe this? You worship him and you talk about him. And that's what they did. There's no other option. If Jesus is alive, he's God. And then you talk about it because it changes absolutely everything. You worship him and you talk about him. Verse 10 goes on. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. And I love how Luke's like, ah, I'm not, and the other women. With them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. Why? Because they're women. Isn't this insulting, actually, kind of? Like, oh, you ladies, you don't get it. But Peter is listening. And Peter is just stirred in his soul. And something is happening in him. He's like, look, when I hear this, I have no other option but to run to the tomb. And that's what happens in verse 12. But Peter rose and he ran to the tomb, stooping him and looking. And he saw the linen cloths by themselves. We learn that Jesus actually made his bed, he folded things up and left it there. And he went home, marveling at what happened. Like, could this be true? This is insane. Like, if this is true, this changes absolutely everything. Here's the third question Do I have to have it all worked out before I believe? Do I have to have it all worked out before I believe? I'm going to tell you the answer is no. And I'm going to show you why the answer is no. Um, I knew my wife for six months. And after six months, I knew I was going to marry her. Done. I had so many unanswered questions. There were questions that I didn't even know to ask. Like if I went back and talked to like previous Michael, I'd be like, here are like 14 questions you need to ask. But it didn't matter what the answers were really because I knew her heart. I did not know who she would turn into at 30 years old, and I don't know who she'll turn into at 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 or 100. And if technology really steps it up, what we're going to be like when we're 110 and 120 years old, right? No idea. I don't know what decision she's going to make. But here's the deal. I did not have to have all my questions about her answered in order to give my entire life to her. I knew enough. And here's what I find. Most people's questions All they are is a distraction. They're an excuse so you don't have to actually deal with Jesus Christ. The demands of Jesus, you're aware of them. I've found this almost always when people say I've got too many questions. I'll ask them this, do you believe he rose again from the dead? And if they can say yes, then all your questions are are excuses. I'll say that as clearly as day. And what I found for most people is that they are actually, they have enough to trust in Christ, but they use their questions as an excuse. I'll give you another example of this. You have kids. And uh, you don't say, you know what, before I commit my life to these kids, I like to see them raise a little bit. I want to see if they're like kind of, they turn out to be a big jerk, you know? Like, you don't do that. Why? Because you'd be a terrible human being. That's why. And some of your kids are not great people. But you know what? You love them. You love them no matter what. Half joking, half not. But you love them no matter what right? It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter how mean they are. It doesn't matter the most terrible things they do. Your heart is bound to them in love and affection until the day you die. You know what? You bound yourself to another person for the rest of your life and you had no questions answered. You had nothing. Nothing. And we do this all the time. And what I'm here to say is that your questions are not a legitimate excuse. Now hear me. At Village Church, I love questions. And I will find the most difficult questions and I will put them on the table publicly, and we will address them to the best of our ability. But hear me, questions. They're one thing, but they cannot hold you back from trusting in Christ if you know that he has risen from the dead and he's alive. Thomas is one of the 12 disciples. Um, most people know him because he was very skeptical. He's a prove it to me, show it to me, I got to see the evidence kind of guy. I relate to him um, because belief and conviction for me um, don't come as easily as they do for other people. And I, I want to read you the story of Thomas. And there's actually a couple surprises in here. John 20, verse 24, now now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So you remember how Jesus, um, he shows up in the book of Luke and he shows up to all the disciples and he shows them who he is. Well, Thomas wasn't there. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Now, if you're a skeptic and people you love and you trust tell you, Jesus is alive. What do you believe? Prove it to me. Prove it to me. Okay? Here's what he says. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Belligerent unbelief Is always, I've never found another example, another exception. Belligerent unbelief is always the result of hurt and anger. Always. When people are like, belligerently, no, I will not believe, always the result of hurt and anger, unmet expectations. Put yourself in Thomas's shoes just for a moment. Thomas is is literally giving up his entire life to follow Jesus. He's given up his reputation, his income, his money, his life, all these things. He's traveling all around following Jesus. And Jesus is making promises. I'm the Messiah. He he probably transfers a ton of unmet expectations or unrealistic expectations to Jesus. He's going to be my general. He's going to usher in the kingdom of God. I'm going to be first in this new nation where Israel is ruling over the entire world. He put all of his hope, all of his stock, all of his expectations onto Jesus Christ. And then Jesus allows himself to be killed. Thomas is angry. Thomas is hurt. Okay? Jesus did not meet Thomas' expectations. Now I want you to just, just pause for a moment. If, you, if somebody you dearly loved was really wounded by you, and I mean angry with you, and you let them down, what would you do? You'd call them up, wouldn't you? You'd call them that night, you wouldn't be able to sleep, and you would say, can we make this right? Jesus does not do that. In fact, the next three words are a little bit shocking when you understand this context. Eight days later. I have some questions for Jesus. What were you doing? Like your your brother, Thomas, you love him. He loves you. You failed him. And you let him sit in this anger and this hurt and this pain and these unmet expectations for eight days. Which is actually just a reminder. Sometimes he doesn't tell you everything. Sometimes he lets you sit in the confusion. Because in the process of that confusion, who you are really comes out. Goes on eight days later. His disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them this time. Now, Let's just be clear. Whatever's about to happen, if Jesus is alive, nothing should be strange, okay? Like there should be nothing that you see that happens here that should surprise you. If God can raise him from the dead, weird things can happen. Let's just agree on that. So the doors are locked and Jesus came in and stood among them and he says, peace be with you. Like literally the doors are locked and he appears. He's like, hey guys, how's it going? I'm here, right? Now here's the deal. He says his, his, his typical Jewish greeting, but then he turns right away to Thomas, right away. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, and I guarantee you this, alligator tears fell down his face and soaked the entire floor as his hard, hurt, burdened heart melted before him. Why did you wait? Because you needed to see yourself. Jesus has a reason for whatever he does, but I tell you, when he reveals himself to you, it breaks you. And it's beautiful, and it's emotional, and this is one of the most intimate moments in all of scripture. And Jesus Jesus actually responds sort of with a, a rebuke, totally appropriate. Here's what he says. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And he's telling us something really important. You do not need to see to believe. You do not need to see to believe. You do not need every question that you have answered as a prerequisite to trust in Jesus Christ. If that were the case, none of us would be Christians. If that were the case, you wouldn't be married to your spouse. If that were the case, you wouldn't love your children. But when it comes to Jesus, we put up these questions as a barrier as an excuse. Let me, let me speak candidly to you for a moment because there's some of you here who um, you think I am trying to convince you to trust in Jesus. And actually, the complete opposite is true. My theology delightfully teaches me I have no ability to change your mind. Uh, my theology tells me I cannot make you believe. I can't give you eyes to see, ears to hear, or heart to believe. Like, I don't have that power resident within myself, okay? Uh, therein is the misnomer of preachers. I can preach the gospel and if God wants to do something that is his prerogative, I don't have any power over you. Not for one moment do I believe that any of my words are going to change the way you think about Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible teaches really clearly belief, trust, faith, whatever you call it, is the gift of God. And it's his to dispense. Like this, this is actually, this is a really clear teaching of scripture that many people don't totally understand. I want to, I want to illustrate this because Jesus meets with the women, okay? They're going to tell the disciples in Luke 24. And then he goes someplace else. And there are two disciples on a road to a place called Emmaus. One of them, we don't know his name. The other is Cleopas. Ever heard of Cleopas? Most people haven't. So Cleopas and this unnamed disciple are walking. Now they're intellectual, theologically savvy kind of guys. They're like the prove it to me from scripture kind of dudes. So Jesus shows up, but here's the deal. Luke says this about Jesus when he shows up. He says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So actually Jesus is with them and they don't know it's him. He actually hides himself from them. And so he spends all day with them and he's opening up the scriptures, talking about how the Christ had to suffer and die and rise again from the dead on the third day. And he's with them all day long. And finally, at the end of the day, they're like, stay with us. Like we've had a blast with you. And he's like, sorry, I gotta go. And then when he leaves, this is what it says. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. You know what's so interesting is that, is that it really does require God to open up your eyes for you to see Jesus clearly. I can try to tell you all you want. I can give you all the uh, biblical evidence for the resurrection, the historical res- uh, 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 whatever. I can try to convince you. I can show you that it's logical. I can show you a gajillion things. And literally nothing that I can give you will help you or make you believe in Jesus Christ. He has to reveal himself to you. So here's my challenge for you. Those of you who don't yet believe, I challenge you to have the courage to ask God this prayer. God, if you are real and Jesus is who the Bible says he is, will you give me the faith to believe? Now, here's the deal. I'm gonna be really honest with you. Most men are petrified to trust in Christ. In fact, they won't pray this prayer. You heard me. You're like, I know that if I pray that, I'm gonna believe in a resurrected Jesus. Oh, no, you're not gonna do it. I'm gonna tell you why most men won't do it. Because if you come to Christ, 40-year-old man, 50-year-old man, 60-year-old man, 70-year-old man, 80-year-old man, you are admitting that from this point before you have been wrong your whole life. And men don't like to be wrong. That's why most men don't trust in Christ even after they actually believe in a resurrection because they don't wanna be seen as wrong. And that is so sad that our dumb pride could stand between us and eternal life in Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm not a woman, if you didn't know, but most women I have found, they don't want to trust in Christ because they uh, they are afraid of what it will do to their social life. It will change every one of their relationships immediately. Mom, dad, husband, friends, neighbors, social media. It requires a drastic overhaul of your life. And so you could be sitting here and you could pray this prayer, but you won't because you know what it means. So better not to ask than to ask and regret it later. Students are petrified to trust in Christ because it feels like social and intellectual suicide when in fact, it's actually the only pathway to real, actual life. Here's what I love about Jesus. In scripture and in our own lives in this room, he reveals himself so personally to each one of us. You take Cleopas and his buddy. Jesus opens up the scriptures with them and shows them in a way that they understand. Think about guys like Thomas, evidence-based guys. Prove it to me, prove it to me, prove it to me. And he just gently takes Thomas through this process, leaves him for eight days, actually. Like right now, you're like, God, why aren't you showing up? He may not be showing up on purpose because he's bringing you to the end of yourself. He has a habit of doing this. And then at the right time, he enters into your life and he gives you eyes to see and the ability to recognize him for who he truly is. Some of you, you're like, Peter, it just comes easy. And Jesus just shows you an empty tomb and you're like, I get it, I get it. Some of you are like the women, he had to show up personally and he ministered to them personally. Some of you, um, unfortunately, you are gonna be the apostle Paul, dense as a doornail, hard as a rock and God will have to undo your entire life before you will humble yourself and trust in him. Honestly, this last one is completely unnecessary. The only thing that stands between a lot of people and trusting in Christ, it's actually not belief in the resurrection, it's pride. It's pride. And I would just encourage you, there's no reason for you to be an Apostle Paul and have to have God undo your whole life. If Jesus is who he says he is, this absolutely changes everything, everything. Now, what's happening, and we brought this up earlier, is that some of you, you're thinking, you're like, I think I believe, oh no, what do I do? Suppress, 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 don't deal with it. Don't be so foolish, because if he rose again from the dead, this is an unavoidable conclusion. Jesus Christ is God, and there is no other. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other. He is the only means of salvation. There is no other. That that placing your faith in Jesus Christ is the only means by which you can ever be saved. And if you know that already, kill the pride. Kill all the barriers that stand between you and trusting in God. Who cares if your husband or your wife know that you're wrong for your entire life? They already know it anyway. Listen to how Jesus reveals himself to the apostles. Luke 24, towards the end of the chapter. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. He just shows up and he says, peace to you. <laughs> Another time, hilarious. But they, start, they were startled and frightened and they thought they saw a spirit. Why? There's no category in their brain that he could be alive. I mean, the women had already told them, right? And Jesus is like, no, there's a bunch of, or the disciples, yeah, a bunch of women. They're just idle, you know, idle, idle tale tellers. And Jesus is literally right in front of them. And their first conclusion is not uh, he fulfilled what he said would happen, not what the women said were true, but it must be a ghost. Like this is how hard-hearted and stubborn these guys are. And Jesus says to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself Touch me and see, for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And verse 41 is my favorite. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Like, they're like, I can't believe this. There's no way this is true. This has got to be true. I think this is true. There's no way this is true. I don't believe this. I can't believe this. Like, they're shocked. They don't even know what to do with themselves. And and, and this might be actually the most humorous part of Luke. I am convinced Luke has a sense of humor. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, do you guys have anything to eat? That's literally what he says. Like you're expecting a speech, right? And Jesus is like, give me some food. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. Like that's how that ends. Isn't that so great? But what does he do? He ministers to them, he reveals himself to them in a way each one of them needed, and he does it so personally and so uniquely. Luke, or, or, uh, um, Thomas wasn't even there, waits eight days for Thomas. I mean, this is a, an amazing, amazing, amazing like, thing to watch as Jesus personally reveals himself. Look, there is, as cliche as it might be, there is no better time to trust in Jesus Christ on, than on Easter Sunday, the day we actually celebrate his resurrection. And some of you are like, yeah, I don't want to be a cliche. I'm not going to trust in Christ because that's what the pastor wanted. Stop it. It's unnecessary. If Jesus is risen from the dead, stop playing all the games and trust in him because it is the only option. There is no other way if he is truly alive. Um, for those of you who trusted in Christ, this is an incredible, incredible day just to be reminded that our God, our Savior is alive. And what the scriptures teach are true. True. And that we will be resurrected with him one day. Thank God these bodies are failing us. And that God will make all things right. All the things said about Jesus are true and it's validated by God the Father when he raised him from the dead. For those of you who never trusted in Christ, again, I have no ability to convince you or do otherwise, but I would say to you, I I challenge you. Would you go before God and ask him if this Jesus truly is the son of God with power, would you give me faith? Would you open my eyes? Would you reveal this to me? So here's what we're gonna do. I wanna take a moment, I wanna pray for you. Um, I wanna pray that God would uh, overwhelmingly make himself known to you that he would encourage you, that he would build you up. Uh, And then we're gonna close with two final songs. And if you are a follower in Christ, this is a great, beautiful moment to celebrate the fact that our God is not dead. He is 100% conscious, alive, and engaged. Let's pray together. Father, you could have left us and you didn't. You could have left us to our sin, but you didn't. I wanna thank you, God, that you gave your son, Jesus, and that whosoever believes in him will not perish in hell, but will have eternal life. Father, I thank you that in the resurrection of Jesus, you you made such a beautiful declaration. You shamed and humbled Satan and the demons. You brought so much joy and celebration to the angels who have been serving you for millennia. You brought hope to us broken sinners who had nowhere to go unless you intervened. God, we are just really grateful. And Lord, I'm also aware it's Easter Sunday and there are people here who just don't know what to do. And so God, would you be so gracious? Would you with clarity reveal that Jesus is alive? And then would you give courage to take the necessary next step to trust in him? Lord, it is our honor, it's our privilege to worship you and to celebrate the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen? Amen.